We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, moving through the Bible so quickly. It's exciting. Uh, let's begin by the reading of God's Word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, to the, uh, I, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of, Thessalon of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because of your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all persecution and tribulations that you endure which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire and taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because, of, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all good pleasures of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we know it's Your Word that grows us. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying this morning, Lord God. Change us on the inside. Allow ourselves to yield to the Holy Spirit right now to receive your instruction, to be stirred up inside, to leave this place, enter the mission field, and be a light that shines bright for your glory. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians was an important letter because somebody had sent a counterfeit letter. History tells us that there was a counterfeit letter that was supposedly written by Paul that the Thessalonians received claiming they, they were in the tribulation. Now they were a little blown away because if you remember when we studied 1 Thessalonians, every chapter Paul just kept going back to Jesus is coming for his church. We're not appointed under wrath. And that we weren't going through the tribulation. So when this false letter shows up saying that you're in the tribulation, and, and many of them thought they were because, I mean, they were going under heavy persecution. Christians were being murdered. They were being beheaded. They were being fed the lions. They were being chopped up by the gladiators at the sport arenas. They were being used as human torches at Caesar's garden parties. And many thought that Caesar was the Antichrist. So for them, they thought, man, this must be it because it's heavy right now. And, and you know what? Sometimes we think it's pretty heavy here. 
But God has not appointed you to wrath. God is not going to pour out His judgment on His church, His beloved. God does not tell husbands, beat up your wife before the honeymoon. We're not going to be here. And so Paul has to write this letter to comfort them, to remind them of the things that he had said, to remind them that the day of the Lord will not take place, the judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world, until the church of Jesus Christ has been removed. Praise the Lord. Okay, now you might say, hey, I'm... I know Christians that like think that we're in the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. It's a worldwide tribulation. You, everybody will be suffering. And everybody will be working all day for a loaf of bread. And only a handful of wicked people will be trying to run the world at that time. But God will deal with the wickedness of the world. And we don't need to worry about that. But we should have an urgency that Jesus is coming back soon. And we need to be about the Father's business. We, we need to stop being complacent. We need to really seek out the opportunity to share the love of God because hell is a real place. He talks about it here in this passage that we're looking at in chapter 1. He calls it everlasting destruction. Sounds painful. Where the fire is never quenched, the worm never dieth. And those who reject Jesus Christ will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a good selling point when you're sharing the gospel if somebody says, well, I don't want any of that. I mean, when you really hold out the options, there's two options, heaven or hell. Peace, eternal life, or absolutely no peace separated from the true and living God, pain and torture forever and ever. I mean, it's, it's really a no-brainer. I'm really amazed when people say, I don't want anything to do with it. And they've been deceived. They've been deceived by people who say, well, there really isn't in the hell. And so when you say, well, you need to make a choice, it's, it's either one or the other. You need to understand that God did not create hell for you. It was for Satan and the fallen angels. But because sin entered into the world, we're already on that way. And so God did the unthinkable to die for our sins, to provide a way, take the gift of salvation, the the present, the gift that He's offering, open up, have eternal life, and escape hell. He loves you so much, but He's not going to force you. So when you tell people about heaven and hell, you, you, you get these kinds of responses. Well, I believe in science. Okay, well, science has failed throughout the generations of man what's absolute all of a sudden a year later is not absolute it's always changing well i believe in the big bang wow when was the last time you ever saw something blow up and make anything i mean it takes more faith for that than it does to believe in jesus christ in the beginning was nothing and then nothing blew up doesn't make sense but our lord opened his mouth and set the universe in motion. See, all of creation screams of a creator. All of design screams of a designer. And not one human being, born again or not saved, would say, hey, this, this brand new truck just showed up in my driveway. This plane came out of nowhere. I got a boat just sitting in my yard. The clothes just showed up. Somebody left a pile of money. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. 
because you know, you know, somebody say, hey, nice outfit you got on. Who made that? Nobody argues that it just showed up at your house. They understand there was a designer who designed it. So if you can believe that about everything that we have, why is it that it's so hard for people to believe that there's a creator of a universe which is much more complex than any building of a car or a space rocket or, or whatever? Creation screams of a creator. And every man and woman has to make a decision. And today, maybe you're here and you haven't made that decision. You need to make that decision. Eternity is at stake. I really believe Jesus is coming ASAP. And if you aren't set in stone with him, standing on the rock, you're going to go through the tribulation. I hear people sometimes say to me, well, you know, if what you're saying is true, then I'll give my life to the Lord in the tribulation, when you guys all disappear, then I'll, then I'll do it. I, listen, if you won't do it now while it's easy, you're not going to do it when it's hard. When your family is threatened to be beheaded unless they worship the Antichrist, when nobody can buy or sell unless they take the mark of the beast, and if you take the mark of the beast, you're separated from God for all eternity. So, so what makes you think that you're going to buckle for Jesus in the tribulation when you can't even do it now when he's just offering you a present? The problem is with man is our pride. And I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer, we all have pride. And our pride will get challenged. But God hates pride because pride is the origin of sin. And so we really need to get this gospel out because you, you know people, I know people, you have family, I have family that doesn't know God. And to think that you're comfortable with that should bother you. Because God loved them and gave His life for them. And so he opens up this letter. He says, Paul, Savannah, which is Silas, and Timothy, these are the guys that were traveling with him. To the church of Thessalonians, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church. He wasn't saying a building. He was saying, you guys are the church. This is the church. When we gather together, this is the church. When you're not here during the week, it's just a building. And so he writes this letter, and he could just very well say to the church, of the Kilauans, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A typical greeting of the Apostle Paul, grace and peace, always in that order, because you can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. For it's by grace that you're saved. By faith. It's not by works. It's a gift of God. But you can't have peace with God until you've received the grace of God. Therefore, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I might encourage you that you may have that peace with God because you're a believer, but do you have the peace of God? And I think that's what Paul would say to the Thessalonians who were going through persecution. Do you have the peace of God? 
And the peace of God is different. Because the peace of God, when you're going through troubles, you're saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God's in charge, I don't understand it, He does, He loves me, He's by my side, He's got my hand, He's taking me through it. That's the peace of God. When you see Christians who are just crumbling over the things that they see on the horizontal and they can't seem to function, that's a sad thing. Because they've gotten their eyes off Jesus and they've put it on their storm and now they're more concerned about the things of the world than the things of God. If God loves you and promises you, He's going to see you to the finish line. Hello? That's good enough for me. What's the worst thing that could happen to you on this earth? This is as bad as it gets, guys. Yeah, but somebody could kill me. Where are you going to be? That's just a first-class ticket to heaven. I mean, yeah, sure, there'll be a moment of discomfortment, but you know what? It won't last. We've got to get our, our, our sights set on heaven. We've got to get our minds set on the true and living God. We ought to understand that Jesus said we would have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. And no greater thing than a man lay down his life for another. That we would be counted worthy to suffer like our king. To give our life for others. To be a testimony to the world of who we love and who we trust. So important. Do you have that peace today? You know, I'm, I'm always bothered by so-called Christians who are works-driven. And you try to point out it's not about works, and they just want to argue. But this is one of the greatest verses that you can use to talk to somebody about we're saved by faith and not of our works. Because if we were saved by our works, Paul would never be able to say grace and peace. And the reason is if you have a works-based faith, you never have peace. Because you never know if you're measured up or not. Have I done enough? You ever talk to somebody who, who is on a works-based relationship? There's, there's groups out there that aren't Christians and they're all trying to earn their way to heaven. And when you ask them, are you going to make it? They're like, I don't know. I hope so. Well, I can tell you right now, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have to hope so. I know. Because I'm basing it on what He did, not what I did. Praise God. That frees me up. I, I can actually serve God better and easier knowing that He handled it. He paid my debt, a debt He didn't know, a debt I could never pay. And in response, my love says, I'm going to serve you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to love others like I love myself. In verse 3, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. These are the things that identified and described the Thessalonians. They had a tremendous love for each other 
and their faith was growing exceedingly. That's awesome. Does that describe you? Are you hungry for the Word of God? Are you hungry to grow? Have you plateaued off this year? Maybe you need to be someone who has to have the Holy Spirit maybe jumpstart your heart. Because we'll get mountaintop experiences and then we'll level off for a while. And if you've leveled off, you just say, Lord, fill me afresh. I want to get busy. I want to take that next mountain. Their faith, even in the midst of persecution, hello, do you know the church thrives the most during persecution? It's almost like I want to say, Lord, we need a disaster here. Because that's what really pulls this island together. Unfortunately, it takes a hurricane or a flood, and then all of a sudden we drop all of our differences and we're working side by side. And people are open to hearing about the gospel. Now, I would like if we could get that through their heads when everything's going good, but if it takes tribulation, then bring it, Lord. Maybe it took tribulation in your life to wake you up. Usually that's what it takes. There's not a lot of people say, you know what, I really have everything. I'm rich. I got mansions. I got cars. I got boats. I got planes. I got everything I need. I think I'll try Jesus. That's not common. It's usually when everything goes south that I'm somewhere like, wow, maybe that Jesus thing has something to it. Their faith was growing exceedingly. How can we grow our faith? <coughs> well, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm going to give you the tip. If you're saying, you know, I have people come, I want my faith to grow, what do I do? Read your Bible. It never stops speaking to you. I mean, verses I thought I had down. Man, I, I've, I've covered every corner, every letter. I, 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 Lord, I think I got this. And then he takes me deeper. The Word is alive and living. Able to do surgery in your hearts. You want to know more about Jesus? You want to grow in your faith? Know the Word of God. Be ready to have an answer for every man. He says their love was crazy. The two greatest commandments, love God with everything you got. I paraphrase that. And love your neighbor as yourself. It, the key to success is love. And, and love is what describes a true believer. If you're salty and bitter, and seem to get in arguments with everybody, you need to repent. And you need to ask God to do a work in your heart. Because you don't have the love that God wants you to have to represent Him. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. Leave it to God. It's His deal. It's not yours. It's your job to pray for them. Because the more you pray for them, the less you start, stop hating them. You, you start letting go. And next thing you know, you actually care about them. And then you want blessings for them. You know, it's easy to love when you're being loved. It's easy to love when everything's going your way. 
It's hard to love when it's not. It's hard to love when everything's not going your way. But love is the evidence of our faith. Every one of you has somebody in your life that you're just like, when you see them, you're always excited to see them because they're just so full of love. And then there's other people in your life that when you see them, you almost want to dodge them. You love them, you care about them, but it's, it's like there is no like minute conversation with that person and it's never positive. God's grace is so amazing. You know, when I looked at this letter and I saw him talk about faith and love, I was thinking back on the first letter where he talked about their, their faith, their love, and their hope. But this time he doesn't mention hope, and, and I wonder why, because maybe they were challenged by that false letter. And maybe their hope was challenged. Maybe they were discouraged. You ever have your hope challenged? Maybe last week during the elections? Was your hope challenged? Mine wasn't. My candidate won. I voted for Jesus. Because, it, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I don't put my trust in Republicans or Democrats or independents. I don't put my trust in the White House. I put my trust in God's house. I don't trust the House of the Senate. I trust God's house. I don't trust the House of Representatives. I trust God's house. And nothing that's happening in this world right now is taking God by surprise. It may be taking you by surprise. I can't believe this happened. Yeah, well, it didn't surprise God. And the world's not falling apart. The world's falling right into place. Jesus is coming, and he's going to set up his kingdom. In verse 4, he says, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all persecutions and tribulations that you endure. What a statement. Paul is saying, I boast to all the churches of God because how patient you are through troubles, trials, tribulation. And I think to myself, does that describe us? Does that describe you? Do you immediately just take it to the Lord in prayer when you're going through hard times? Do you maybe snap, lose it for a moment, but then reel it in because you know better? And then give it to God? That's kind of me. Might not be you. But sometimes, you know, the enemy catches me off guard and I kind of like, you know, I, I know none of you understand what I'm saying, but I could act ungodly and then I have to like reel it in. Patience is the ability to con continue with Christ no matter what. Is that you? Because I'll tell you what, the disciples, the apostles, it didn't go easy for them. But they would rather die than deny their Savior. Does that describe you? If it becomes illegal to be a Christian, 
Would there be enough to convict you? Enough evidence? I entitled this message, The Evidence of Our Faith. That was my intro. How did I do? I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, oh, another hour? The evidence of our faith. What's the evidence of our faith? Love. Persevering. Giving thanks. Sharing the gospel. Why do you share the gospel? Because I believe it. When you have something that you really are stoked on, don't you want to share it with others? So he says to us that we ourselves boast among the churches of God for your patience and faith and persecution and tribulations that you endure, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Counted worthy. When you go through a trial, God allows it for your growth. Did you know that? You say, why would he do that? Because you won't grow the way you should grow on your own. And you won't go certain places unless God makes you go. Hey, I need you over here. A little busy. I'd like you to speak to this person. Don't like them. Could you do this? Not right now. Well, let me just clear your schedule. That's what God does. Oh, you don't have time? I'll just clear your schedule. Oh, you lost your job. Okay, now we can do my thing. Tribulation in this world... The origin is man, Satan, the world. Tribulation, during the seven-year tribulation, the origin is the throne of God. What you're going through right now, the origin is demonic, and it's of man, it's of Satan, it's of the world. But God says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I got you in my hand. And the trial grows us. God gets us where we won't go on our own so that we will grow. And the more you grow, I know you're not going to enjoy this, but it's true. The more you grow in Jesus Christ, the more you will suffer. Are you okay with that? Well, Lawrence is. Just, are, you, are you okay with that? Yeah, everybody's like, I think I'm okay with that. But it's true. The more I pray, read, serve, give, I grow, but the more I do those things, my persecution increases. My suffering increases. Why? Because I'm doing the right thing. That's how you gauge yourself. 
How's your walk with God? Bombs blowing up all over the place. Woo! Jesus! When someone tells me that I'm a born-again Christian, but I'm never going through anything, my life's just great. And I'm just like, you better check your pulse. God allows those things in our life to grow. Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a good word right there, isn't it? Woo! So he says the things you're going through are manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you would be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. And since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in a flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. We just read there in verse 6 that God's going to repay the unbeliever. The one that troubles you, that is determined to trouble you, that doesn't want anything to do with God, that says, I don't need God, they'll be repaid. For their labors, their works of unrighteousness pay out. Did you know that? Sin pays. It pays. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin pays out. Death. Hello. Eternal separation from the true and living God. Not a good thing. Everlasting destruction. Sin pays. See, when you say to the Lord, I, I don't want what you have to offer. I don't want anything to do with your God. I don't buy into that stuff. I'm doing my own thing. You give me what I deserve. Sin pays out. And God says He's going to repay those who have rejected the gift that He's offered them. Not because He enjoys it. Don't take this wrong. But it's because the individual said, I don't want God. I don't need God. I don't want anything God has to offer me. I'm going to do it my way. And God says, okay, well, I'll pay you for doing your way. And this is the payment. The wages of sin is death. God's not going to force you to love Him. He's not going to force you to do anything for Him. If you don't want Him in your life, you remember this. You sent yourself to hell. God did not send you there. 
you chose. I think it was Moody that said, if any man or woman goes to hell, they're a trespasser. Because they weren't meant to be there. And God has done everything in his love and in his power to offer you a gift, but he will not force you to take the gift of salvation. You cannot earn it. And if you reject everything he offers, you will be judged according to your works on this earth and it will pay out and the wages of sin is death. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, give your life. Surrender. Quit fighting him. Quit playing games. Don't think because you come to this church on Sunday you're saved. Hello? It's got to be a personal relationship. So you say, okay, listen, wait. God allows persecution in my life? Uh Uh-huh. And God's going to repay those who persecute me? Uh Uh-huh. So you're like, wait a minute, I don't fully understand what's this persecution all about. I mean, why does God allow persecution of his kids? Well, two things. Check this out. Number one, he allows persecution in your life and mine because it identifies who we really are. It identifies who's really his. The shutdown, everything we went through in the last two years, didn't that identify who was for God and who wasn't? There was people that never came back to churches after that. There was churches that never opened back up after that. Did God not reveal who's really His through persecution? There were countries where Christians were being heavily persecuted and many ran off, never to return to the church again. In these last days, God is really revealing who's are His and who are not. And so the first purpose that God would allow persecution of his kids, it identifies who's really his. And second, it identifies who is worthy and deserving of judgment. And then he says in verse 7, it's to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. So Paul here is talking to them and he says, God's going to repay those who have harmed you, those who've rejected me. I will repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And there's there's almost, verse 7 is almost like a parenthetical verse. It's like something inserted there um, because verse 6 and verse 8 go right together. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, verse 8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two kind of go together. A parenthetical verse is something that's kind of inserted. 
Verse 7 is kind of inserted. It's like, it's like when I'm talking to somebody. What's that cartoon up where all of a sudden you know, they're talking to the dog and somebody goes, squirrel? It's like when you're talking to somebody, it's like I'm, say, I'm trying to tell Josh, okay, this is where, how you get to my house. You, you turn at, Men, at Menahuti Mart, you get on Cola Road, and then you make a left on Kilauea. Wow, the wave looked pretty good. You see that wave? That was pretty good. And then you make a ride on Oka. And you come, that's like a parenthetical, right? I'm sharing something, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, that was a nice wave. Do you see that? Okay, anyway, back to what we were talking about. Paul starts talking about the judgment that's coming on a Christ-rejecting world by our Lord and His mighty angels. And right in the middle of it, he goes, isn't it great that we're not going to be there? That you as a believer are going to be resting with us. We're all going to be together when that day happens. And he says that those who God's going to judge, verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of our Lord, from the glory of His power. That's scary. Everlasting. There's no such thing as annihilation. Some are teaching that. Don't buy into it. It's not scriptural. It's not doctrinal. God never says if you reject Him that, you know, you, you'll be cast in hell and then you'll just be annihilated and you'll cease to exist. Hello, it ain't going to happen. They take a couple of verses out of context and run with that. But all throughout the Bible, he talks about the punishment. The separation from God is a punishment evermore. You can't escape it. You'll be in hell until the kingdom age is over. And then there's the great white throne judgment where you will stand before God and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire. So hell is a precursor for the lake of fire, which is probably worse. And it's everlasting. This is a good witnessing tool for the, the hardest of hard. It's everlasting. You think you had a bad day here? That would be a great day in hell. You think you had a great day here on this earth? Think back on the best day you ever had. That would be like hell in heaven. You don't realize what we got in store for us. Paul said it'd be sin to try to describe. When people say, don't you think heaven's going to be boring? No. This place is boring. But you being separated from God, oh my gosh. It never ends. It's eternal life. We are eternal beings. You're either going to live eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to be separated from Him and be punished for eternity. And you made the choice. It's everlasting destruction. It's not annihilation. That's false teaching. Isaiah 33 talks about it as everlasting burnings. Matthew in the Gospels speak of everlasting fire, everlasting burnings, a place of everlasting torment. Revelation 20 tells us the torment, they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why would you want to go there? That's a great thing to share with somebody who doesn't want to buy into the gospel. He said, why would you want to go there? Why would you want to go to hell? Are you kidding me? Heaven? Hell? Mm, let me think. Really? Oh, 
wrap this up. Verse 10 says, When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of His calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That He may be glorified in us. Does that describe you? That we would be a testimony to the world. Does that describe you? Do our lives glorify Him? Are our lives a testimony to the world? When I see Christians saved, born again, but not in the Word, not praying, not giving, not serving, they don't appreciate what God has done for them. They haven't really stopped to think about how much God has done for them and what they've escaped. They don't appreciate what they have been saved from I think we need to change our mindset I think we need to right now make a commitment before God and everyone here to give God our best to be available to have an ear to hear what the Spirit's saying. To do His will. To serve Him. To love. Why? Because He's worth it. He's worth it. Let's pray. Father, would You help us to have more listening power to hear you speak, to block off the chatter of the world and the busyness of life and just hear you speak so clearly to us. Holy Spirit, guide and lead us. Strengthen us, Lord, to do your will. Pour out your Spirit on the body of Christ worldwide and get us ready for the coming of the Lord. To be removed from this place, Lord, help us to be about the Father's business to serve you all the days of our life, to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, cry out to him right now, Lord, I believe you're who you are. I ask you to save me now. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. You rose from the dead. And that you provided a way Receive me as your child now. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go live for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.